teaching on the why of new birth. And this is the fifth uh, lesson in that series. And this morning I'm talking about the struggle. Now, many of us know we've heard that word struggle, I think, that throughout 2020 a few times. And now we're in 2021. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, we're all hoping that's going to be a new thing. But ultimately, the struggle. What is the struggle in our lives? Well, I think you could say financially, maybe you've struggled. Maybe physically you've struggled. You've, you've experienced some type of struggle throughout your life. And so you kind of understand what this, this word struggle is, what it means. And so this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this from the concept of the idea that before we find Jesus, before we find this new birth experience, we have this struggle in our life. This, this experience that requires us to... It draws us close to him. That's what the struggle really is about. And, and every person here, everyone that's, that's listening to me, those that are online and those that are in the sanctuary this morning, you were born into a state of bondage, into a state of slavery. And so this is made clear by the first three chapters of Romans because Paul says, and he affirms that both Jews and Gentiles, which is really just a biblical way of saying all-encompassing or or another way to say it would be everyone. So that's us. It's all of us. And, and, and so everyone stands condemned in God's sight. So those that did not have the law of Moses, they were condemned by conscience. That's why whenever you, before you came to God, before you experienced the new birth, there were times in your life where you said, I know that what I'm doing isn't right. I know what I'm doing isn't, isn't good, but I want to do something better. I want to be able to do something that, that's different than what the choices I make. Maybe you were at a bar. Maybe you were out, in this, out doing something you knew you shouldn't have been doing because you left your family behind or because you did this. And in you, you said, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't make this decision. Yet, your conscience was there to guide you. And so for those that were under the law, those that were under the law of Moses, they were condemned by the law itself. So you both find condemnation in these two things. And so this is a place of constant pulling and pushing in our lives. The back and forth in a person where they feel the desire to do good, but they can't. Those that feel like they should, but they don't. And, And yet we find ourselves doing the opposite of everything we want to do. And this push and pull is being redefined in our culture. Culture itself wants to change this through science, through reconstruction, through social reconstruction. And they want to change the way we think as a whole. So, unfortunately though, and maybe fortunately on our end, society doesn't have the keys to do that. Society would have us pull away from God, get away from God, take God out of everything. But um, for us, they, they just don't have the power to do it. They don't know, there's just no way for them to actually accomplish this task. And Paul addressed this very thing about this, this back and forth, this, this need to do good and this need to, do, to want to do good but choosing not to. In Romans 7, he says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin 
living in me that doesn't. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I, I do it anyway. But I do what I don't want to do. I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered these principles of life. Now, this is, I find that amazing when Paul says, these are the principles of life that I've discovered. Because this is a man that's been through a lot. I mean, he's, I mean, you can read the New Testament and find the things that Paul went through leading up to this and throughout his entire ministry and life. And so when he says, these are the things I discovered, these are the principles I discovered, I'm like, automatically listening I'm automatically want to know what's he talking about and so what he says is that when I want to do what is right I inevitably do what is wrong I love God's law with all my heart but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind this power makes me a slave to the sin that is is still within me oh what a miserable person that I am Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I think that's the question that is posed in many people's minds is because you don't want to do those things. I mean, ultimately, we, we don't want to hurt our loved ones. We don't want to hurt people. We want to live a life that's, that's good, that's, that's, let's say, righteous. We want to do the right thing. And so in this in this. He's, he's talking about how there's this, this constant battle between them. And so, you know, when you look at what was taking place during Paul's time, we have to understand that the law was passed down from God to Moses on the mountain of Sinai. And this law was a spiritual law. I mean, it was written on to- tablets of stone with God's own finger. I mean, could you imagine being in the presence of God while he writes the laws for men to be guided? On a tablet of stone. I mean, this is, this is a deeply spiritual moment for Moses. And he's in this presence of God and he's receiving the word and he's receiving what this is going to help the nation of Israel to understand how to be close to him. Because ultimately that's what the law was for. The law wasn't just to be this legalistic thing where we take it and we're going to live by it. And we're gonna, this is, I'm going to do what's good. I'm going to be able to do all these things and keep some sort of... Uh, repetition in my life, but that would become legalism. And we don't believe that legalism is the way to go, but yet the law was there that it might guide them to have relationship with God. And so in this moment, and I've heard it said that, that it can be legalistic. I've heard that said many times that, that I, I just feel too much pressure. I feel too much like if I try to do everything, I'm going to just crumble under the weight of it. And there were times when Israel actually felt this way. And we can see that many times. And the thing is that this is not the case. When, he, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about the law, we can see where he says, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But the question becomes, how was he going to fulfill the law? So we might say his death. And you would be right to say that his death does fulfill a portion of the law but you wouldn't be completely correct you see it does establish justification he does become the propitiation which justification propitiation is the payment and 
also becomes the not guilty verdict that's weighed out whenever we come before a judge. It's, it's, these are those two things that work in conjunction with each other. So the deaf gave that to them. But it's impartial how Jesus actually fulfills the law. God's plan was always more complex than this. It's always more complex. It required a demolition of the old things that held the Israelites in their current states of bondage. This was because the Israelites had used the law that proclaimed their end of, they, they believed it proclaimed their own individual righteousness. They used the law almost as a measuring stick to determine if they were righteous or not. And Romans 3:10 actually tells us no one is righteous, not even one. So we have to understand the context of the time in which Paul is writing this. They're under Roman rule once again. And here they are. Every time the nation of Israel was in bondage, it was because they had lost their way and there wasn't any different. Egypt, Babylon, and now Rome. These words that Paul is speaking is capturing the actual entire feelings of an entire nation. I do what I do and I don't want to. To sum it up. And Paul is presenting a biblical principle about how there is this war going on in each and every individual person. You struggle with the ability to live a righteous life before you have this experience of the new birth. It's important to understand that the new birth is not a cure for all things that plague us in this life. Because many of us will experience the new birth. And yes, it gives us this It does give us access. It does give us the ability to be saved, but not entirely because your life has to go through what is called sanctification. You have to go through a process where your life is cleansed, where there are things that you go through that in order for you to be truly find yourself to hear those words of God that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You you have to go through the sanctification process. So, Yes, there is struggle before you come to the new birth, and that is to pull you towards God. But there's also a struggle after you experience the new birth. And that is also the same exact thing that pulls you towards God. The valleys that I go through are the valleys that help me know who God is. It shows me who he is in my life. And this is, this is found throughout all of Scripture. And even this year, many people might equate the new birth as a release of bad events, bad things that happen in your life. And this is not the case. I don't think that any of us could say this is more evident than ever in 2020. Now we're in 2021, obviously, but many women of God, men and women of God were directly affected by the virus and have dealt with the aftermath of this virus in our world as a whole. And this was either financially, their personal health, or their loved one mentally, or even physically. And this shows the the reality that the new birth doesn't get rid of bad things in an individual's life. It gives us power to go through them with grace and mercy. When you look at Romans 7 of our opening text, we can see that Paul was a man that was in conflict with himself. He is dealing with the sin nature that is within him. And every effort he makes to do the right thing is met with conflict. And he often gives in to this part of himself. But Paul was this super spiritual guy. Why was he giving in to those things that were in his life? 
I mean, after all, he had studied the Word of God. He had been a, a student of, of rabbis. He was, he was brought up almost a human prodigy, a child prodigy. And this is before the road to Damascus experience that Paul is talking about this in Romans 7. So we have to put that into context. And the church in Galatia actually received a letter that in part of the letter was attempting to clarify this prison that we can find ourselves in. That is in conflict with our sin nature and the redeemed man or woman. Galatians 3 says, But the scripture declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before we of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak. Until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. The law was meant to keep the Israelites in safe regards to their salvation. But after 400 years, this law that was to be written in the hearts of the nation of Israel had lost its true intention and became simply ritualistic to them. They had lost sight of the righteousness of God and thought that they were being made righteous through their individual observances of this law. And we can see how Jesus saw the law. In a brief brief uh, discussion with a Pharisee in Matthew 9, it says, Later, Matthew, which was a disciple, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home at as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people, healthy people do, do not need a doctor, sick, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's that struggle that helps us to understand that really we do have a sinner living within us. That the decisions we've made up to this point were at times in a sin state. We've made choices that God would say is sin. And so Jesus is telling them, you have to know that you're a sinner. And in Hosea 6, 6, this is what Jesus was actually quoting. He says, I want to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and you betrayed my trust. See, Jesus was telling those that they, they were righteous, that they were nothing in them was actually righteous, and that the law had lost its meaning for them. There wasn't a need to bring any more burnt offerings. It wasn't going to be out of legalistic reasoning in their hearts. That's all it was going to end up being. A way to me, for me to say, I, I did my part. I came, I, I put my offering on the altar, and now I can go home and I can feel good about it. And that was year after year after year for 400 years. Maybe not in the first 100 years. Maybe there was just this, this remnant of people who really understood what the law was and what it was meant to do. 
But over time, they lost sight of it. And unfortunately, there are times in our lives when we can say the same thing about being in the house of God. That I come to the service and I want to experience God in the fullest that He has to give to me, but yet it has become work. Or it has become ritual. And so, really, the law was there to establish relationship. And there wasn't a need to bring any more of those offerings. There wasn't a need to offer those things. And this is also why you cannot come to an altar and ask for forgiveness if you haven't first settled in your heart that you are a sinner. It will be out, it's, it's going to be of no effect for you to, to ask for repentance. If you, are true, if you do not truly desire to actually walk away from the sin and cling to Jesus. And that is where Israel had found itself. And where the true struggle is stemming from in humanity's hearts. There is, that is where Israel had found itself and where the true struggle is stemming from. There is a heart of stone contained within the natural man. They had lost their true meaning of the law. And the fact is, it was so they could actually be close to God. And this law was required, but it was because our righteous God cannot dwell in the presence of unrighteousness. God wanted a relationship with his creation. And the sin that lived in their lives was separating them from the God of creation. So that is why God gave them the law. Deuteronomy 17 says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God. To keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. That is, his heart be not lifted up above his brethren. And that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right or to the left. To the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom and he and his children in the midst of Israel. You see, God judges strictly based on this law. God isn't looking at how you or I see things and what is right or wrong. We are not going to be able to ever justify our own righteousness to the only one who is truly righteous. I think of Job when I think of of accounts on righteousness. When I think of somebody who was actually considered a righteous man. And this man was confronted by God after a long discourse and many ailments that suffered in his body. And Job, he, he suffered these by the hand of Satan. But God spoke to him out of the whirlwind, and God declared to Job his mighty nature. Job, being found wanting, looked upon God and asked for repentance. You see, this man that was considered righteous, this man Job... It's much like those of us who, who go to church and we pay our tithes and we do what's right. And we do everything that we can to be, to be in covenant with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Job had done everything he could, but yet still found himself in the presence of God wanting. Still in the presence of God needing a Savior. And so he asked for repentance. And that struggle that contained within each and every single one of us, there are times that we ourselves will find there's God, and we will ask for that repentance. And that's that struggle that we face. 
And God declared to him and gave him back all those things in which he had lost. And he actually got threefold. So there are times that, yes, you will go through those, but God will come out in the end. He will be the one. Because what does the scripture say? He says he does not forsake those that are righteous. But we are only made righteous through him. So how do you stack up this morning? If you looked at the law of God and and you compared it to yourself, ask yourself, how do I myself stack up to this law? Good thing for us, we don't actually have to be put into comparison with God. Because the inner man, no matter how good they are, would never be able to be placed against the goodness and righteousness of God. Because it is not how I stack up, but it is how he stacks up. When we're saved, we get his righteousness. He becomes the Lord, our righteousness. And in the opening text, Paul described a desire to do good, but lacking the power to do so. And this is before he actually experienced the new birth, the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection. And I want to read out of Romans 8. It says, so now there is no condemnation. Isn't that nice? That is the one thing I can hold on to because he says there is no condemnation in those that believe in the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ, to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. I was actually about to say I was closing, so it's a good time. The key is found in the fact that if we are found being in Christ and then walking in Christ, then there is a true victory found and contained in that statement. Yes, as a Christian, you are going to face difficulties. And there will be hard times ahead in this 2021. And the world will offer you things that seem good and they seem like for a season they are worth having. But I ask you and I pose this question, at what cost will you receive those things? What price will you pay if you forsake this opportunity to be in covenant with a loving God who desires to have a true relationship with you? Jesus' words in Luke 9 says, it poses a powerful question to anyone who is willing not to hear this gospel message. It says, for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world but lose himself or be a castaway? And you might think it seems so much to give up this world. But I think the psalmist said it best when he said, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. 
For the Lord God is our son and our shield. And he gives us grace and glory. And the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. And so these words are true. There is no better place to be found than in the presence of God. And to know that you are under the blood of the Lamb. So this morning I ask, if you have not found these waters, if you have not found repentance, and if you have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost, then make today be that day. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the hope. Days may be dark, your light is great. 